And hello, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, and today's guest is Nathan Griffith. He is the Youth Strength and Conditioning Coach at Oxford United FC in England. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me. If you wouldn't mind, just share a little bit of your background and, and how you got into your role. Hi, Tim. Thank you again for inviting me into this show. It's been it's a great pleasure. Um, so, yes, I'm the head of Academy Strength Conditioning Coach at Oxford United Football Club. Um, it's been a long journey, if I'm being honest. Um, I think, as everyone knows, that the market is so saturated within strength conditioning. And if you really want it and you really want to get into the industry, then you will. And you'll make that effort, as we spoke just previously. Um, so my journey began in 2016 um, in my undergraduate degree in England. Um, I did three years at university. In my first year, um, I didn't really know what strength conditioning was, but I was intrigued. I loved football, which in America we classify as that as soccer. Um, and I just, yeah, loved football in my entire life. And that's what just inspired me. Um, and I knew what sports science was about, but um, I just wanted to have that practical experience and gain that theoretical knowledge. So uh, my first internship was at Derby County Football Club um, Academy. And uh, the training ground is magnificent. It's everything that you would want, you would dream of um, being there and working with professional athletes, uh, footballers um, and working with the staff. Um, it just inspired me. Um, have that had that burning desire and I knew just the first couple of days because the, when I started was pre-season so in England around June July it was hot summer summertime um, I knew that's this is the industry that I wanted to be in um, and I did that internship for a year was incredible experience um, I've got uh, well um, taught how to why fundamental movements is important to adolescence and pre-adolescence um, and just getting how to enhance performance but most importantly as well is to reduce the risk of injury. Um, so then I moved on um, end of internship I reached out to a, another professional club um, and at the time they were only re recruiting interns that were from their local university but because I sought them out um, and I was again I, I knew this was the industry that I wanted to go in and I was so determined and driven um, I pursued them and they gave me an interview uh, thankfully I was um, accepted onto the internship program which was a year even though it was similar internships, um, I learned so much at Burnham City Football Club. Again, different teams have different philosophies and how they work. What I really got, what I really um, what was taught on internship was the uh, theory side of it. So the GPS, um, what do they normally do on a weekly basis? What are the match demands on a Saturday? And then being able to interpretate that data to the coaches who haven't got any understanding at all. So that was a real insight and um, it was really good and enhanced my learning. And then I went on to do my master's. So I went down to um, London again. So I pursued to increase my knowledge, ex um, make myself more um, applicable, applicable to um, current recruiters or potential recruiters that I would apply to within jobs. And I did my master's in strength conditioning at Middlesex University, a great university, very applied um, course, which was good because it um, allowed me to what, what I was taught within my master's to translate that within my, within my intern um, internship. And even while I was doing my master's, which was full time, again, um, because the 
the market was so saturated and for every job within the UK, um, at least for one job, 150 people applying for it. Right. And then you get shortlisted down to five or a hundred. So it's really, really, um, really challenging to try and get that role and to break into that industry. So it's a lot about networking as well, as much as you can. Um, so I did another internship. So overall, that was three internships. My third one was at Charlton Athletic Football Club. Great, um, great club, has a great history, was in the Premier League, um, was only there for three, four months. Um, and that was the reason because I was able to get a full-time opportunity at Barnet Football Club, another football club which was local to Charlton in um, London. And that was a great experience. I thought, okay, so all that hard work, I'm just about to complete my master's. I've, I've graduated from my undergraduate degree. Um, I've, had I've had three internships. I've done it. Like everyone's, everyone used to tell me that once you've broke into the industry and you have a full-time opportunity, then that's it. Um, but it didn't go that way. Uh, so I was only there for six, seven months, learned a lot. Um, and the reason why was because at the time I joined the club, the club was in a relegation battle. So the system of what happens in uh, UK soccer, it goes from Premier League, which are your clubs like Tottenham, Man City, Chelsea, and then goes to your championship clubs and then League One and then League Two. So if you're starting out in a profession within the UK, more than likely you're going to go and start from the bottom and then work your way to the top, which is exactly what I did. Um, so my full time opportunity was a football club in League Two and they were in the relegation battle. Um, and unfortunately, they got relegate, relegated, which meant the next season after they would not been professional football club. They would have been a semi-professional football club. So their players would have only been playing um, part time, which meant the chairman decided um, to make most staff members and players redundant. So after breaking into the industry, you know, um, being so happy, all that hard work, my dreams just start crushing down. Um, I even remember uh, to this day where the person who hired me for the role um, told me, brought me outside and said, look, um, this is kind of the circumstances that we're in. Unfortunately, we're going to have to let you go. Um, didn't really hit reality until I started walking home. But again, I knew that this was the industry for me and all the hard work that I've I've done so far, I wasn't that I wasn't gonna let that stop me. Um so applied for a few more jobs, had interviews, didn't get them. Um I truly believe everything does happen for a reason. There was a job vacancy um, and it had been up for quite a long time. Um, and the reason why I didn't apply for it was because it was quite far away from where my parents lived. So I was living in London at the time um, and completed my master's, graduated. Um, but I couldn't live in London no more because uh, if you've lived in London, been around in London, it's very expensive, um, especially if you're not working. So the only option that I had to do was move back home to my parents. Um, and... Uh, not something that I wanted to do, but it just had to be done. But again, like I was uh, mentioning before, on the last day of the um, application day, there was a part-time vacancy for Peterborough United Football Club. And now from my parents where Peterborough is where to my parents live, it was a two-hour journey. Um, but there was no other options. The, again, like um, within uk it's that if a if a job um opening is going to occur then it's only because someone's left for a new pasture so 
um, rare opportunities come um, very, not not very frequently. Um, let's play like that. So I thought, look, uh, this is an industry that I want to do. Let's just apply for it. Um, got an interview and eventually got a part-time job at Peterborough United Football Club after one or two months being told, being made redundant. Um, and it was not easy um, at all. Again, like I said, it was a two hour journey and I was probably driving more than I was coaching. So sometimes I only had to um, go and work for maybe an, an hour or an hour and a half where there and back, obviously is a four hour journey and the pay that I was getting, I was probably spending more on um, travel expenses than anything else. And then alongside this as well, just to increase my money intake, um, I was also working as a bartender on Saturdays. So it's full on. And and that didn't um, end probably. I stayed in that role for a year, 12 months, um, until thankfully the position that I'm in now, um, Oxford United Football Club, um, I'm here, I've been here for two years. So uh, again, even for my role that I applied for my current role, uh, it was a two-stage interview process um, and 150 people applied. Got narrowed down to the final 20, which was first just an initial phone call just to get to see what type of personality you are. The first stage was um, a, so past that, the next stage was an interview stage, which was a, a present a presentation about what can you bring to Oxford United Football Club? What is your philosophy? What can you do to make these changes to enhance performance? Because at that time and still now, we are a club that we develop academy players and trying to produce them within our first team. And then down the line, we try and sell them on. Um, so that's our main goal as a football club. Um, and Oxford United Football Club, as I was telling you in that tier system, we are in, um, so I had to think then, we are in League One. Um, unfortunately, last season we got to the final, um, but we lost and we just missed that opportunity to get to the championship to that next stage. But again, um, going back to the point, uh, 150 people applied for my role. Um, and the second stage interview was um, how can you ca can you interact with the staff members and the players that you're going to be working with, which was a match day experience. So I led the GPS aspect of it and also led the match day warm up. Um, and I was assessed on my just personality, my interactions with the players and my professionalism. Um, and again, yeah, I've been here for two years. Um, and I'm still learning, still developing as a practitioner. Um, I'm always open. And it was something that I saw within an article, um, the rugby head coach for England. He said that you have to treat yourself as a business. If you think about a business, the good businesses, they are open to change and they are the ones that flourish. The ones that are not so good and they're not flourishing is because, it's because they're not open to change. So the new technology, the new software that we have, new businesses are open to that idea and it's the same principles that you have to abide by as a practitioner as a strong conditioning practitioner you have to be open you can't be just viewing one kind of view you have to be looking left and right and looking at all planes um because just one uh, one athlete only because your philosophy and you think that's right for that athlete it might maybe maybe not um there's as we're going to probably talk about later on, um, you work with a range of different athletes and you have to adapt and you have to manipulate your practice. So that's really important. So um, again, yeah, that's my story. And uh, that's where I am right now. All right. Well, take a breath. That was a, uh, yeah, that was, that was a speech. You had a lot of good things in there. And 
Yeah. I, I want to get to to training youth here in a minute, but a couple mm. things I think are worth mentioning and re- worth reminding people. And and by the way, if you are watching and you have a question for Nathan, just just put it in the chat box and and we'll get it to him. You you didn't allow things to come to you. You went and got them. And mm-hmm. That's something that a lot of people coming up into coaching, oh, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach. I want to be a coach. I know these people. It'll work out. No, you you had to do the work. You had to do the internships. You had to do the qualifications. And you had to go find those jobs, sometimes even when it costs you financially and, yeah. and time, as you talked about traveling. Definitely something that, that a lot of people don't think about when they're looking at the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sure. I mean, a lot of people say they want it, but it's about how much do you really want it, you know? Um, so you have to really pursue it. If that's something that you want, then you go and get it. And th- another thing that puts people off is that, well, I'm just another person. Um, there's loads of other people that want to be in the same situation as me. But if you have that mindset, then you're never going to be where you want to be. You have to believe in yourself and have that inner belief that you're different and you have unique um ability to be different and just um separate yourself from another person so yeah doing them doing those internships is vitally important you have to pursue what you want um now now that you're in the position of of strength and conditioning coach for youth uh, you you mentioned the level that you're at 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 oxford uh you've got it made right well paid uh drive the porsche to work uh (laughs) a few hours a day it Uh, sounds fantastic nice far from it it's long hours um we um so i work with under 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 nines to all the way to under 23s um so we have our professional phase players who are pro players in the morning um which is probably a typical 11 o'clock start um they report for 10 o'clock training's done around probably let's say one o'clock we then have gym session afterwards which you know lasts for an hour um and then we have the evening schedule so we have the younger age groups to do so it's probably a good nine to nine 12 hour day it's relentless it doesn't stop um and yeah um i wish that strength conditioning coaches get well paid within our profession but hopefully this is something that changes in the future Mm. So let's talk a little bit about, you talk about your hours, talk a little bit about working with strength and conditioning youth, because, you know, if you, we'll, we'll talk about your Twitter handle later, but if, if I go on there and watch some videos, I see, I see adolescents working out with weights and, yeah. and a lot of people would be like, Nathan, what are you doing? Everyone knows that you shouldn't be doing that. It's dangerous. It causes, um, you know, it stops growth. What are you doing? Uh, talk a little bit about some of the maybe misconceptions that occur yeah. and and how you actually train youth for, for your sport. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a big um, afficent on kind of uh, gym training and strength training and power training, especially um, at a younger age group, because it's good for bone de- development. It's good for bone strength, good for tendon strength. Um, and it's good for just across the age groups when they get to an old age group they have that technical aspects competency sorry of um just being able to use and being able to squat efficiently if that's a hinge or just a pulling motion so um yeah we try and um because we are an academy category three academy at the moment so we actually only the under 15s um start gym training um so that's in terms of strength 
Um, so that misconception that uh, strength training, you know, stunts growth, it is false. Um, if anything, it is beneficial for their development and especially for their physical um, technical ability. Um, so it's definitely um, a benefit for them. And um, if anything, the only way it is harmful for them is to if they have incorrect technique. But that's where you have strength conditioning coaches who have um, who are qualified and can teach correct movement um, and movement patency. So let me let me go a little further and ask about about soccer. I'll use soccer just because we're, we're in the U.S. or at least I am. Can, can you explain what kind of training you do for, you know, a 12 year old? Is yeah. it focused on injury prevention? Is it focused on, on speed? Do you focus on lower body more than upper body? How, how do you train uh, an adolescent for, for soccer? So we have um, young players coming from under nines to under 11s. And from that bracket, what we try and promote, especially for parents, is not just to specialise in one sport. We want them to participate in many sports. And the reason behind this is because, um, yes, they may have a preference of football, but if they're also playing tennis, that's also a skill set of what they're picking up in tennis it can also translate in football. So that's hand-eye coordination, that's foot-eye coordination. Um, and all these uh, skills cross over to football. So we try and um, just emphasise the importance of multi-sport. And at such an early age, we encourage that because it is so beneficial for their, important, um, for their progress. Um, and, but what can we, I try and interrupt you there and ask a quick yeah, question? Definitely. I, I agree with you on mm -hmm. sports specialisation and its dangers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you and I are on the same page. But yeah. then I go, hmm, they're part of an academy. You're encouraging them to play other sports. Is there a risk of maybe overtraining? How do you moderate the fact that they're playing tennis as well as playing soccer? True. And that's another thing. At that age, um, when they're in the school age, we can't actually monitor it. Because if you think about it, there's so many things that they, that's going on in their lives. School, um, school activities afterwards. They could be doing cross-country. Um, they could have done P lessons. So it's really hard to try and monitor and um, have a kind of know what their load and intensity is on a weekly basis it's just really impossible as a kid you're always active and you're just doing everything every day so that's why we try and encourage being um, in a multi-sport kind of environment because we don't want that burnout rate um so we only have two free training sessions a week um in okay. and, then, and then a match day so it's not every day okay um, that makes sense but yeah, yeah completely because in the U.S., we see a lot of specialist clubs where, where yeah. players are participating in four or five training sessions a week and then playing Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And, and if they're doing anything in school, there's, mm -hmm. there's certainly a risk of burnout over training and so on. And we so, um, oh. go ahead. Sorry. So no, it's fine. Um, this is another thing that we do, and most coaches in the UK. But this is something that Oxford United Football Club does, and how I um, tell my staff to try and kind of, you know, um, design a session is that when we put a session on, even a game of tag, what what what's the aim of tag? What 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 are we doing? It's change direction, um, and they're learning to evade and avoid um, other other players and it's the exact same thing that they're going to have to do in a training session so they're still getting a skill benefit from that 
Um, obviously, we do a lot more to it in terms of we start to introduce, you know, the squat pattern in. So is your chest nice and straight? Is your knees over the over the toes? You know, we don't want your knees to go in. We don't want that knee valgus. Um, so we, we're trying to, you know, um, learn the correct technique so that when they get older, we can design more um, strategic uh, gym sessions. So we're not we're not having to go back and teach them technique um, aspects of it. We can we can enhance their development even more, and it can add a bit more technical, um, more um, challenging exercises for their development. You've interned at a few different places. You've seen a variety of different approaches to to strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. and here you are. You're two years into your own program. Mm-hmm. What? What have you learned across those that you think would be beneficial for others who are in the SNC to to know or or to understand about designing programs, working with kids, um, mm-hmm. soccer, perhaps? You tell me. Yeah, I've, I've kind of said um, just be very be open. And out of all my internships, what I've done is I've picked out the good good things that I've want that I've seen that is really good and that has really worked throughout each football club um and i've just combined it within my own program which has really worked um so again so i'll just um, explain kind of the kind of schedule of what we do and in terms of how to improve their physical development on a weekly basis um so again the under nines to under 11s it's really multi-sport based but we really want to promote um technique aspect to that but when we get older and when a person is going through maturation um they could um, experience adolescent awkwardness and if they go through an adolescent awkwardness stage adolescent awkwardness stage um their motor skills could be affected so their a simple pass could miss could be um could be affected or they just be very uncoordinated so what we trying to do is try and reintroduce that technique aspect so this could be just teaching them running mechanics so do they have a high knee drive can they produce force um can they within a sprint session can they come to a stop quickly um so we try and do um all them activities for them another thing that we try and do is we try and pull them out of training five ten minutes at a time so most of this time that we get with them at a younger age group is within the warm-ups at, at the start of this session so and then after that they go into training and we don't really have much interaction with them now to try and boost that um, interaction that we have with our players and to try and improve let's say running mechanics landing mechanics especially for those that are going through maturation or just improve performance such as speed and power we speak to we liaise with the coaches and we speak to them and we just say look can we pull the players just probably two at a time five and takes five ten minutes out of your training session and if we, if we um, liaise with the coaches beforehand they have no problem with it um and that's five ten minutes and overall within a week that's an extra hour or a half that you're getting with them and that's massive if you turn if you think of the long-term picture of what that could be within a season all right you're you're working with a group of kids and mm. uh i've i've been a teacher right yeah. i have kids myself sure. and i've coached kids mm-hmm. and i also know that kids don't always put forth their best effort every time Mm-hmm. not everybody is intrinsically motivated like you to be their best and to mm-hmm. push, push, push. Yep. And so within a, a training session, I suspect you may have some who think they've already made it or, sure. or some who 
perhaps do as little as possible because they don't want to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you make sure that those athletes are motivated? Do you have any um, do you set goals for them? Do you do you challenge them when they're not performing? How do you make sure that everybody is pushing forward together and develop that culture of not just professionalism, but but that drive to succeed? Sure. Um, and that's one thing that is vital within our profession. I think it's not what you know. It's how much they 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 know that they care for you. So me joining into Oxford United Football Club, it's not about what I can do so quick and so sudden. It's building that buy-in. Without that buy-in with the players, if they don't believe in what you're doing, if they don't have that relationship with you, then within that coaching session, within that training session, they're not going to give you that 100%. Um, right. so about that, that is so important. Um, and well, can you give me, can you give me maybe two or three specific ways that you try to to show that you care and, and build that culture? Yeah, just even having a conversation with them um, prior to training, just as simply as just asking how their day been, you know, um, and that can go a long way. And then eventually they start opening up and you start to have a rapport with them. And eventually it opens up into bigger things. You're having a laugh, you're having a joke, and then they respect you for that. Um, so that's another thing. And I think that's what most young graduates um, they miss is that they're so carried away of you know creating the best program the best gym program the best outdoor session the best athletic development session but if you don't have that buy-in with them players and if they don't respect you then you can throw that gym program out the window because it doesn't matter i could put out a half decent training session but I know, for example, if I know, I know that if my players respect me and they they fully buy in to what I believe in and what I do, and they know that I care about their development, I'll get so much um, out of them um, more than the best, let's say, program in the world. All right. So you're working with range. I think you told this to me before the interview. Up to 23 year olds. Yeah. You're 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 not a an old man like me yet, right? You don't have the gray hair. So you coming in as, as this young strength and conditioning coach, you're not too far away from them in terms of age. Mm -hmm. Maybe they push the envelope a little bit. Maybe they test you a little bit to find Mm -hmm. out what you know and how authoritarian you're going to be. Maybe Mm -hmm. they want to be your friend and hang out with you because you're pretty close to them in age. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain that, that kind of professionalism and ensure that respect from, from those who are, you know, the older ones that you work with? I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to say that it's easy because it's not. Um, and as you stated, that it probably is probably only a two, three year age gap, if that. And we have the same common interests. Um, so it is hard. It is challenging um, and to not cross that boundary. But as long as you know and they know that I'm the coach and you're the player um, and they we get that mutual respect of when I'm telling you something to do, to, you know, respect it and that's it, to do it. Um, sometimes it's not always that simple forward. Yes, they may have that respect for you, but sometimes they do cross that boundary. They sometimes forget. But then again, that's then sometimes you take them to a side and remembering like you telling them to, you know, this is, you know, not professional. Um, you having that professional standard all the time. Um, so yeah, it is hard. Um, but, um, 
you just have to maintain your professional standards at all times. And as long as you don't break them, then they won't cross that boundary and neither will you. Now, Nathan, you're a busy guy. You, you do, you put in a lot of hours. Yeah. How does Nathan stay balanced and have a life? Just try and speak to my friends as much as I can go out. You know, um, it's important to have family time as well. Um, I love just watching football, especially going out with my dad. Um, so it's, it's really hard to have that balance as well. Cause at the moment I'm also doing my doctorate at university of Birmingham. So I'm investigating the acceleration performance. Um, so at the moment, I don't think that is enough research within deacceleration. Um, I think a lot of research goes into top end speed or acceleration, but like multi, like team sports, it's very multi-directional and they forget the component of deacceleration and the importance of it in terms of how important it is in terms of change direction. So I think there's a lot to do in terms of knowing um, kind of the mechanics of slowing down think people undervalue it a lot um and they don't see it as a skill but actually it is and it's a very hard skill to um be really competent at mm -hmm. but um going back onto the topic yeah it's just making sure that you, you still have time you still go out you still see your friends you still see your family think to back in your career and what you've learned so far and and then consider that the people watching this may be those who are trying to to move up in the profession or maybe even get into the profession well, mm -hmm. what advice would you have for them keep striving um you will have your down days um but make sure that you have a support system around you to pick you back up um don't stop believing in yourself um the only way you're going to fail is by giving up so just keep pursuing um it will come um and just be patient i think that's something even now that i need to kind of just remember, um, just be patient. It will come. I know it may not seem that it may not, but it will. Um, just pursue it. Create, go to network events. I know it's hard at the moment due to COVID-19 within England at the moment. We're in lockdown. Um, but try and, you know, um, just connect with people. If that's on LinkedIn or Twitter, ask them questions. Um, you never know. A potential opportunity could come from that. Um, so yeah, um, get the, the accreditations for the NSCA, um, or whatever accreditations that may help you, um, to get to that next level. Um, and just keep doing, just don't give up. If you really want it, you'll get where you want to be. And you timed it well, because if somebody does have a question for you, or maybe wants to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Via, um, Twitter, um, Nathan Griffith X or just on LinkedIn, which is the same, Nathan Griffith, but without the X. Okay, so for those of you listening to the podcast, that's Nathan Griffith, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H-X. You should be able to find him on Twitter and LinkedIn. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing a little bit about your experiences. And I hope those watching either now or in the future do catch up with you with their questions. No, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you. Appreciate it. Just a reminder, coming up every week, we have a, a new guest, so be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss any of them. But until next time, thank you so much for watching. Bye.